0: This week on the Recruitment Flex, our announcer is away to summer camp. Research shows that women dominate leadership roles in talent acquisition and work commute volume is surpassing pre-pandemic times. Plus, 40% of hiring managers admit lying to candidates. We find out what they're lying about. TRF starts after this message from our partner, Van Hack. Hey, Shelly, do you remember the days of being in corporate talent acquisition?
1: Oh, absolutely. Every time the phone rang, it was another staffing agency claiming to be innovative and different.
0: I used to wonder when someone would truly elevate the industry.
1: Well, hold on to your hat here because that's exactly what VanHack has done. Shelly, picture this. A closed community of pre-verified tech talent ready
0: to relocate to Canada with all the paperwork taken care of. Sounds too good to be
1: true? Well, not anymore. VanHack has made it a reality. They have built the community of skilled software developers eager to make the move, and they handle the entire immigration process.
0: And that's not all. They're taking it up a notch. Companies with offshore development teams, listen up. VanHack's introducing the Canadian Engineering Office. Move your entire dev team to Canada, and VanHack handles all all the nitty-gritty details of immigration and relocation.
1: So can you imagine, Serge, the applause from your CIO if you were to walk into his office and bring this solution to the table?
0: Shelly, every time I walk into an office, I get applause. But that's not all. (laughs) The best part is they've got certified immigration consultants on board who've done this countless times. They understand that every family situation is unique revolutionize the way you recruit, relocate, and retain talent. Because when it comes to innovation in the talent acquisition world, VanHack is leading the
1: charge. Get ready to be the hero of your company. Check out vanhack.com today.
0: Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge.
1: And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now.
0: Bonjour and welcome to the Recruitment Flex. Shelly, I forgot to ask you last week, did you get your car fixed?
1: Yeah, Serge, I did. I did. And I was very surprised because I was Expecting that because of the strikes and stuff at the port in Vancouver, I thought, oh God, parts are going to take forever. I had this fun little rental car and I was just getting used to it. And lo and behold, I got a call last Friday and they said, Your car is ready. I do have a shout out, if I may. I went through TD insurance and I know people always complain about insurance companies, but man, oh man. They've got it going on. They responded right away. They were empathetic. They were fantastic. They really were. So thank Isn't you. Isn't it asking. great
0: when you get great service and you just like you want to talk about it? But
1: <laughs> yeah, they're not paying me to do this. But I guess most people complain the struggles and the fight with the insurance company and making a claim. And this was just the opposite. Just the opposite. They were right on it. Updating me with any changes, or we got the parts in. The communication was fantastic.
0: So, Shelly, I had a different experience this weekend because growing up as a kid, I used to go to the monster truck shows. And Annabelle, oh, one of the twins, sensitive. just loves monster trucks. She tells me stories that she's going to go to the moon in her monster truck. So, when I saw the event, I'm like, we got to go. When I was very young. I was five years old. I actually toured with the monster truck show. We were the halftime show. I was five. No. And yes, true story. So my cousin, who is a stunt driver, saw a world record of 12 people on um ATV doing a pop wheelie for a hundred feet. And he's like, I can break this. And being related, he brought in Me and my brother, because we were tiny. I was five and my brother was eight or nine around that time. And we were on the shoulders of a pyramid while this four-wheeler is doing pop wheelies for 100 feet on cement floor. Because of this, I've been in the Guinness Book of World Records twice when I was five and we did it again when I was 24, but we did it different. We didn't have five year olds. We actually took a team of gymnastics ladies. And that were just tiny, right? And we fit 16 or 17 this time and did it and shows.
1: So the love of monster trucks is genetic. That explains it all. So thank you. She was so
0: excited it. to go. I did not want to go because it's loud. I was just done with it 10 minutes. And I'm like hoping that she's like, it's too loud. I want to leave. But that was not the case. She had her massive ear protection. So she was not in danger. Um, and she, loved- she loved it. She absolutely loved mm-hmm. it. So Shelly, last week we talked about a local event here that's focused on women in tech. And we we shared our opinions and thoughts about charging men more than women to attend the event. We did get some pushback on it. And one of the things that I want to clearly state is that we are big proponents of closing the gender pay gap and Mm -hmm. also on pay equality. I think Mm -hmm. what we were disputing here is the approach we felt it was more divisive Mm. than productive
1: Agreed, shelly what's your
0: take on the feedback that we receive where do we go from here
1: well i've not changed my thought process around it i found it very divisive and after 30 years in recruitment and my lived experience of recruiting in tech i've recruited in tech back in the 90s surge I know there were computers back then, but I have been recruiting in tech a lot longer than anybody else. And many of our listeners probably wouldn't even know this, but my first job out of tech school was a systems analyst. So I was in the tech space. I worked as a systems analyst for six years. And at my experience back then, I was part of a white collar unionized group. So pay transparency and pay equity was a non-event. Because everybody hired into systems analyst one and the pay range was this and this. So here's where I will always take a stand. And if you really want to fix a gender pay gap, there's only one way to do it, and that is pay transparency. Period. If you're trying to make a point, okay, you made your point. Maybe men should pay more. I don't think that is going to unite us in any way. What would unite us is if everyone was transparent about pay. Being the only woman in a department of 65 IT people, I was the only female. I was paid the same. Why? Because of pay transparency. Yes, That's the solution. You want to solve it? That's it. it. Yeah, that's how to solve it.
0: A hundred percent. Okay. Shelley... You sent me this fantastic research, the overall difference between men and women when it comes to HR roles. And actually, I learned a ton. So do you want to cover it?
1: Yeah, you bet. I love this because I think I have always felt, since the beginning of my career in talent acquisition, when I first came into TA, I think it was a very male-dominated industry. And over the years, I felt like it has completely swung the other way. So here's the proof. It was specifically done on talent acquisition and learning and development, leadership roles globally. TA leaders, 65% of them are women. And only 35% of TA leaders are men. It really is proof positive of what I felt happening was this pendulum swinging of, more women going into talent acquisition than when I first started in this industry. And in learning and development, here's what's also very interesting is women comprised 59% of those roles and men were at 41. So still the vast majority in L&D and TA are women. There is some variation across certain industries, but women do hold the majority of leadership roles in both of those disciplines. What was interesting was also the career path, trajectory. So were these leaders coming from external or were they transitioning? Because you know how we say talent acquisition is the accidental occupation? Most leaders of the TA function were coming up through the ranks of HR. In learning and development, though, a lot of these leaders were coming from outside the organization which I guess logically, if you think about it, adult educators probably were teachers or taught in the academic setting in some capacity or another at some point in their career. What I didn't expect to see was the career path of TA leaders coming up through
0: HR. Mm. Yeah, 68% was shocking to me. But I guess it's just how it's been structured. And if we look at the growth of talent acquisition, most organizations have picked internally. And as you just stated, most HR organizations have a lot more women than men. And I can share from my personal experience being in HR departments, the majority of the time I've been the only man in that department. I I can't think of a time in talent acquisition that I've had another man, a co-recruiter working with me, a colleague, or a leader, or a direct report. A couple of things that struck me, that was a big one, that 68% came from HR, but then one that was interested: 44% of TA started their career in non-HR roles. There's a good chance they started in sales, marketing, supply chain, and then ended up in HR, talent acquisition. So aside from that, there's nothing too shocking except when we look at talent acquisition and learning and development leaders, if we look at the distribution of the leaders, 60% have 10 to 24 years experience. 13% 13% Amazing. is between yeah. five and nine years, and less mm-hmm. than five years is around 6%. We are going to see the shift dramatically. If we did the same survey 10 years from now, I think we are going to see these numbers differently because a lot of the old guard is retiring or will be retiring.
1: What do we got in the news? Let's switch.
0: Yes. LinkedIn rolled out ID verification in Canada. So they have partnered with a third-party vendor, Clear, and it's available free of charge and it's debuting earlier this month. This has been in the States since I believe April. I was looking at it and I think this is a fantastic idea. There's two trains of thoughts. One of them is, are you dealing with the actual person that you think you're dealing with? So ID verification is extremely important because I don't know if you've had this Shelly, but I've had a sequence where I got five reach out on InMail and the message was almost identical by the five people. And I'm just like, is this a real person? Like I'm starting to question this, but to give it validity and a state of trust that you're dealing with real people and they say who they are, I believe ID verification is a really important step. Some people might think this is big brother again, just wanting our information. And there might not be wrong, but if this is going to give us a better experience on LinkedIn, I'm all for it. What's your thought, Shelley?
1: Mm -hmm. Do you know, it was only today that I had seen for the first time, somebody with the blue check mark on LinkedIn that they've been verified, that this is legitimately, you're talking to a live person. So like you, yes, I have had, I think the last 10 messages, like these are cold messages or in-mails, right? Yeah. Where the message is essentially the same. I was looking through my network. I think we should connect. I think I would blame that on the prompting template in mm, the email yeah. system. Yeah. I think that's where it comes from. Not that I think these people aren't real people because. Just two weeks ago, someone reached out to me and I thought, yeah, you know what? I'm kind of intrigued and I do want to hear more. But clearly, she had never read my profile. She did not know who I was and she used canned messages. And it just looked like a mass mailer and it was a numbers game. And I happened to bite. And so it was pretty obvious, like within the first three or four minutes. I don't see anything to be concerned about on LinkedIn I'd like to see something this like this on social media when i think of Facebook and Instagram it's just covered with well controls. they have that on, but they, they do. have that
0: yeah so meta has verified and i think it's 8 dollars a month they basically match exactly what twitter is doing so you can verify oh, your profile the difference here with linkedin is they're not charging but there's a couple things that I was thinking after the fact is like, everyone has to do this for it to be valuable in my opinion, right? Because if you only have 10% that are verified, well, okay, it's great. Those people are verified, but you still have 90% that are not. So you're still trying to figure out like, what's the difference? Is this person real? They're not real. They're not verified. So for me, it's almost making this mandatory that everyone has to be verified. We've also heard about the stories about companies that have created a company page and put Mm -hmm. 20 employees and create fake employees to show that they are bigger than what they actually are vote for investment or business development. I think that we get rid of this. I'm all on board with doing this. I am not that concerned about privacy information because they already have all the information that they could ever need from me. Like LinkedIn mm-hmm. has a treasure trove of data, they know everything about me and the context of
1: work. True. I love so that linking, <laughs> it should be mandatory. And yep. only those that aren't verified should be suspicious. So let's see if they go that way.
0: Yeah. I want to jump into the next thing. I don't know if you've been driving at all due to go downtown for a business meeting. There's a recent article talking about work commute times here in Canada by Statscan, which is a very reliable source. And there's a couple of things that they came out with that kind of struck me. So Their recent report reveals that nearly 16 million Canadians, or 4 in 5 employees, commuted to work in May. This is a 4.8% increase compared to the previous year, and a 26.2% surge from 2021. Here is where it gets really interesting. The number of commuters going to work has even exceeded... The pre-pandemic levels of 2016, obviously there's a couple of factors that are driving that. We've had a huge influx of new Canadians going to work and that has dramatically affected the numbers. But I guess this kind of verifies what I've seen because it's like worse than it was when I used to go to work on a daily basis. I met someone for coffee at two thinking three o'clock, I'm going to miss the traffic and I'll be home in 10 minutes. No, it was the opposite. It was like the four or five o'clock traffic like three, four years ago. So there's definitely more cars on the road. And what's different too is they're spending more time in their cars than they did before the pandemic. And I think this is going to happen more and more because there's obviously tons of pressure of going back into the office. We're seeing offices just clamp down. You have to be in the office five days a week. And what are we doing here? You're putting a lot more emission out there in the
1: cities. Is that good? Is it good for the employees? Like, what's your thoughts here? This confirmed that 82.6% of employees are commuting to the office using a personal vehicle. When you think Mm. about the environment, when you think about even with the best of transit systems and trains and parking people are still choosing to drive their personal vehicle to commute to work. That's what I think is probably the saddest commentary on our major cities here in Canada, that we have still not figured out how to make it easy and convenient for people to take the train. I would have thought by now, could we not have learned our lesson? Because that is a tremendous amount of pollution. We have just walked back anything we might have gained by greenhouse gas emission reduction targets.
0: Yeah. And obviously the other part of it is too, is this is an employer market right now, which is relating directly to these numbers. I think it's something we need to keep an eye out because employees are very clear This coming into the office and commuting to do Zoom calls at the office, yeah, it's not working for me, but they don't have a choice right now. Yeah, Shelly, let's jump into the tip of the week.
1: (laughs) All right. What you got for me? I got something for you. I do. Now, are you familiar with what it means when somebody asks you, do you know who your talent competitors are? Do you think that is something most recruiters know what that is? They should. Okay. So I'm not so sure. I'm really not so sure. I think okay. a lot of in-house recruiters don't ever think about who are your talent competitors. The tip of the week is this, take some time to think about if you are looking to hire in a certain job family. So for example, let's say you're looking to recruit for heavy duty mechanics, when you are recruiting those people, you do need to understand who you're competing with. And it's usually not as obvious as, oh, well, I'd be competing with other people in my industry. I would challenge recruiters to think beyond that and think beyond just your industry and take a look at who else would hire for the same skill set that you're trying to recruit for. Why is this important? If you don't understand what options are out there for job seekers, it should drive all the behaviors within recruitment. How quickly you get back to people, how you speak to them, asking them upfront about their compensation expectations and why they're looking to change jobs. Because if you have all those motivators, then you know how far down the recruitment process you can take this person. But it all starts with understanding What are their options out there? So my tip of the week is know who you're competing with and understand what it is they're offering. The same Mm -hmm. job seeker that you're wanting to attract.
0: Great tip of the week. Thank you. Into the recruiting insights. And Shelly, how about you start with the first one?
1: Okay. We're going to ask the audience to bear with us here because we chose these next three topics as I believe they kind of are intertwined. The first topic here was an interesting piece that talked about how you could stand out to potential employees, because one of the key reasons people will change jobs, as we know, is to increase pay, Yeah, and they are bored. They just don't see anywhere else that they can go with their current employer. So this piece talked about establishing a culture of opportunity. And they talked about having design for equity and inclusion. That gives evidence to job seekers that you are creating open conversations, you are prioritizing equitable and transparent recruitment, hiring, pay and performance practices. All of those things are evidence of a culture of opportunity. The other one is having good foundational support. What I mean by that you have good wages, don't have to be top, certainly not bottom, but just good baseline wages that include a living wage, healthcare, being in a location that is accessible. Those things are table stakes. And the last piece is being able to talk to our candidates about having a learning culture. Hmm. And that is integrating learning opportunities, whether it's investing in micro learning, upskilling, training, mentoring, just having that available for employees as part of your culture. What are your thoughts about companies being able to advertise and establish this culture of opportunity?
0: Well, I think there's two things. There's advertising and actually doing it. I think you need evidence. And that's what job seekers are looking for here. And job seekers should be asking these questions as well. Share some stories of people getting promoted. What are the opportunities? And if you can pinpoint, hey, 80% of our employees have been promoted into a new role within three years, that data is very important for job seekers in deciding where they're going to go. And we see this, we call it love bombing or fake employment brand that you're just saying shit and you're hoping that people just buy it. And when they get on board, it's like, eh you know, we're trying to do that. Maybe it's not as rosy as what we said. I strongly believe that humans are happy if they see progress in their life. That is one of the key things that motivates all of us. If we feel stagnant, we are unhappy. If we feel progress in any way, it motivates us even further to do better what a major competitive advantage when you're trying to recruit. If you can showcase that this is a place where it has a culture of opportunity and advancement, you will stick above the rest and you will get the best talent in my opinion.
1: It's an investment of time as well.
0: Yes. Massive uh,
1: time investment. Yes. And complex.
0: It's really hard to do this. It is extremely hard, but the organizations that really care will execute and they'll have a talent advantage. Absolutely. Shelley, talking about hiring managers, I'm going to jump into the next recruiting insight and it's a headline. 40% of hiring managers admit to lying to candidates. So for recruiters listening to this show... You can probably think of many times that you know for a fact that the hiring manager was lying to the candidate. And it's usually not like an outright lie. It's usually a fabrication or an exaggeration of things, or it's aspirational. They're telling you something because in their mind, they want it to be. So I was thinking like, what are hiring managers lying about? So the biggest thing was 40% of hiring managers are admitting to lying on the roles Responsibilities. And as a job seeker, like what questions should we be asking? How in depth are we going in the job description of the role and trying to figure out, like, is there more? Tell me about the day in the life. I think there's a lot of questions we can ask to make sure that we're not getting screwed. When we just talked about growth opportunities at the company. Around 38% of hiring managers have lied about this. What a great segue because I think we've all been in that position. We're interviewed and they really want us and they're giving us some fake hope. And in all fairness, business changes really quickly too. A lot of these are all above 20%. So they lie about company culture. Yeah. Benefits. That's a hard one. Why are you lying about benefits? That's pretty black and white to me, Shelley. Company's commitment to social issues, financial health of the company, compensation, turnover rate, and job location, i.e., remote or hybrid. What's your take on it, Shelley?
1: I, I want to believe that it's more little white lies, yeah, than outright deception, and that probably resonates more with me that these are little white lies. And when I think about the roles, responsibilities, I've done thousands of interviews and. The hiring managers will talk about the role, what duties and responsibilities need to be. But also if you've been part of the intake process with a leader, they will sometimes really struggle to be able to articulate exactly how will you measure success in this role. They will really struggle to do that. And unless you're really skilled at helping the leader sort through that the job description is just going to end up like this laundry list of everything we can possibly think of. I believe that this is a true reflection of what really happens in the market because 40%, I think that's probably light. And you know how I know that search? When you call your new employee, this is part of, you know, recruitments, follow up 30 days in to a new job. And you ask the individual, is this job what you expected? How often have you heard them say it's exactly as you described? Very rarely does somebody say, Oh, yeah, this is 100% spot on. This is exactly what I expected. In fact, I would say almost 90% of the time, when you do your recruitment, placement, follow up quality check, they say would have been nice to know this. Or the feedback could be, I think you kind of oversold the culture.
0: Yes. I think we exaggerate company culture all the time. And I think partly is people's definitions of what culture is, right? If you ask a lot of hiring managers, and we've seen this in our interviews with companies that when we ask a question about culture and it's, Oh, it's great. We have like pizza parties and on Mondays we have a barbecue. So our culture is great. I, I think that's not exactly what the job seeker is potentially looking for. So there might be a disconnect of what mm-hmm. the expectations of culture between a hiring manager and the job seeker is. But hey, hiring managers, I think this is a way that we can differentiate ourselves. If we are real authentic in telling the truth, it's actually going to give you a competitive advantage compared to the other way.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Shelly, you have even more hiring manager stuff.
1: I do. I've got this last one and I loved it because, as talent acquisition, when we are being asked to recruit and hire a manager, we really need to understand the difference between a leader and an individual contributor.
0: Yeah.
1: Hiring the wrong person is usually tied back to well, what did you ask them in the interview? What questions did you ask them around their leadership skill? So add this question to your interviews for managers. And the question is this, give me some examples of what demotivated the high performers on your team. Wow. Okay. Let's unpack that a little bit. Asking about demotivators versus motivators. I think it takes a lot more Effort and trust to uncover what demotivates someone. Because on every team, you're going to have your top performer. And a great leader will spend most of their time with your top performers, versus not so strong or less experienced leaders tend to always focus on your poor performers. So, this is a true test of. How this person leads people, because that's what managers are there to do. And being able to understand what demotivates them is the difference between good and great in terms of leadership.
0: I'm so glad that you shared this article because I learned a lot. Being a leader for a long time, I'll admit it, I've always focused on what motivates people and kind of deal with the stuff that demotivates them. Like, hey, suck it up, buttercup. Like, it's just what it is. And that has not been the right approach. Fantastic learnings. I think anyone that's a manager can take this. This should have been the tip of the week, actually, Shelly, for anyone that's leading people. It's fantastic. Shelly, on that note, a couple of announcements quick. We will be at HR Tech Mm -hmm. broadcasting live the 13th and 14th at our friend's plum boot we're extremely excited because we love plum we love Mm -hmm. jason caitlin and the whole team you can come see us and please do because you got to check out plum
1: do you know what i would say though is anyone out there who's not done a plum assessment just take one just just do it it's free you'll understand why not only are we so incredibly proud of them as a canadian technology firm but this shit works it's so great. It's really good. So, yes, I'm so honored that we're going to be in the booth with them and interviewing some of their clients. Yes. We'll get some firsthand feedback from their customers.
0: Oh, we will. And we've also got RecFest coming up mm-hmm. September 12 and 13. We will be hosting the Disrupt stage on the 12th for part of the day. So I'm looking mm-hmm. forward to that. And then there is Disrupt HR Halifax. September 13 and Leah Sobring will be hosting the event. We're excited. Tickets are running out. So do get one. And then I will be speaking at Disrupt HR in Calgary, September 21st. And on that note, Shelly,
1: bye-bye. Au revoir.
0: Shelly, let's face it.
1: Visit www.rectxt.com, mention the Recruitment Flex, and get 10% off annual plans. The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway.